Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Katie G and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, February 20th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we are on page 24 at the second paragraph, starting with the only almost certain consequences. Today's readers are Lois for the 12 Steps, Mora 12 Traditions, Nancy T, Marita, and Katie F. The reference number for Wednesday, February 19th, is 5940. DOA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois to read the 12 steps. Uh, good morning, uh, good morning, uh, Katie G, and everyone on the Lois in Massachusetts, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory of ourselves, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice 
these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. I will now ask Maura to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. I'm Maura, a grateful recovering compulsive overeater in Virginia. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Maura. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the Big Book on page 24, and we are starting at the second paragraph, The Almost Certain Consequences. And I'd like to ask Nancy T. to please get us started and read those two paragraphs that we discussed, please. Thank you, Katie. Good morning. This is Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater in Lewiston, Idaho. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. 
If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sakes, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink or what's the use anyhow. I um, This whole page actually is a page that when I read it for the very first time, I remember I just put the book down and I was sitting there with my jaw hanging open because I thought, how do they know? Because I thought nobody else ever thought like I did, you know, about food. And when I read that, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is about me. This was one of those pages that really hit home. Because the first time I was introduced to um, OA, somebody just put a big book in my hand and told me to substitute the word alcohol for food and see if it fit. And I was, it, it fit to a T, and this is one of those passages. I, um, I never think about the consequences. But as it says in there, sometimes when I do, the thoughts are just hazy and, and not very, I just always believe in my mind that this time it's going to be different. Either this time I have enough recovery under my belt, I've worked through the steps enough time, I, I'm in a different spiritual place than I was then, so now I can handle it. And I never want one binge. I never plan to binge, but I don't also ever plan just one bite. I want a good, I want to sit down and just be able to eat whatever I want. You know, and I never, you know, I always tell myself, I just want to eat like a normal person. Well, that's not what I want to eat like. I want to eat like I want to eat without consequences. And that just doesn't happen. Those thoughts, though, that craziness, that obsession doesn't come into play. I literally, it sounds logical to me, but this time I'm going to handle myself differently. I love that one sentence in the first paragraph that I read where it says, there is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. I didn't put my hand on a hot stove yesterday, but I burned myself by spilling coffee on my T-shirt that I was wearing, and it burned my skin, and I got an instant blister, and and it hurt. And I can tell you that it hurt bad. And um, I was very careful, the you know, with my coffee from then on. I was careful about how I set my cup down. When I picked it up, I made sure, you know, that the it was one of those travel cups. So I made sure the bowl that you drink out of was lined up in the right place so that the same mistake didn't happen again. Isn't it interesting? I don't ever take any of that kind of caution if I, when I begin to eat again after a period of abstinence. I just don't think about these things. And um, so I really, I, it was kind of uh, funny that when I read that this morning because I thought I just had a similar experience that you know, I didn't say it won't it won't burn me this time, so here's how. But I've sure said that a lot of times with the food. And then just like it says, every single time I end up hitting my head on the wall or banging my fist or swearing, how the heck did I get here again? How did this happen? I know better. And then I'm like, oh, well, what's the use? I'm here, so I might as well get, you know, I might as well eat whatever I want anyway. I'm already here, so what the hell. And I just keep on going, and it, um, so... Last time I had such a relapse, it is only by the grace of God that I got back and the people in this program that held out their hand and lovingly were willing to help me back. 
And I am so grateful to have a relationship with a power greater than myself today that has shown me a life beyond my wildest dreams. And I'm not even done yet. It just keeps getting better though all along the way. So um, since I'm already experiencing the miracles, I'm not stopping now. I'm going to keep going. And um, I am so grateful to be able to be of service today. And thank you for allowing me to be of service on this call. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. And who would like to share this morning on what was read? This is Bella. Can I share? You can, Bella. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Wow, 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 I love it, and I like it, and I see, well, this is me. I am in this picture. And I will start with the... Uh, yesterday, when we said the, the tragic truth, yes, this is the tragic truth, is me, again and again and again, running to the food. And I ask myself many times, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? And well, I knew the reason. The reason is nothing to do with me. It's because somebody... Sometimes it was my husband, my mother, my teacher, my, my children, my, my students, my neighbor. Nothing to do with me, you know. I have to eat because of them. And this is the, the tragic truth because now that I am thinking, it, it's so tragic, it's so sad. I am eating and I am gaining weight and I am getting sick because of them. And excuse me, Bella, where are you in the picture? Where I am, I am not existing, you know? I am here to punish the whole entire world. How I punish them? By eating. And it's, it's a circle that I didn't know how to stop, when to stop. I didn't have the tools to stop. I, did, I wasn't even aware that I can stop it or I have to stop and thank God, thank God, now it's a miracle. You know, I, now I know, yes, I live in freedom. I am out of my own jail. Yes, I am taking responsibility on my own life. It's the program teaches me that my power is to do the right choice one day at a time. And how I can do the right choice one day at a time as better as I am connected to God. When I am connected to God, then, wow, it's a miracle. Yes, I am able to do choices one day at a time. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And who else would like to share on what was read? Larry? Larry, please go ahead. Good morning, Larry, uh, recovered uh, compulsive over here from Chicago. Um, okay, so we're in, you know, there is a solution. Keep in mind, there is a solution. We're talking about steps one and two. And we're really, you know, at this point, when we, you know, again, more description of how that the disease had its grip around my neck, was choking me out, was holding my head underwater, was drowning me. Yeah, um, you know, of course, the alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time, and so here's how. 
or perhaps, you know, I didn't think at all. Yeah, I can identify in with that. You know, um, and, and many times I would stuff my face. I didn't want to. God, help me, help me just not do this again. But I, I would do it again. You know, and how did this happen again? How did I get here again? You know, I'll remind everyone that, most of all, I'll remind myself. That's why I, I, I try to articulate these things, is to remind myself. You know, with identification, until such an understanding is reached, what understanding? Identifying in little or nothing. I, I, maybe we shouldn't even have the word little. Nothing could be accomplished. I won't work the steps. I won't recover. That's my experience. So, yes, there is a solution. By the grace of God, I've not found it necessary um, to, to place, you know, any of my binge foods in my mouth for many 24 hours now. You know, I need to know what's the problem, and we're reading about what's the solution. There's a lot of misinformation, uh, a lot of erroneous information. And it, and it serves, you know, in OA and in AA, and it serves more than just being a detriment to your recovery. It can kill you. You know, addicts, addicts have opinions, but here's the problem. See, what I know now is that their opinions will not get you well. Yet OA is it's littered with opinions <laughs> that, are, that are framed as fact. And no offense, I love everyone in there, but you know, if you came into the rooms in the 1940s, here's what would have happened. You would have been welcomed. You would have been assigned a sharing partner. They didn't call it a, a sponsor. And they'd, he or she would sit you down um, and tell you what? They'd tell you, you know, I'm going to be your advocate. You know, here's what's wrong with you. Step one, what's the solution? We're reading about what's the solution to what's wrong with you. That's step two. And you're going to make an affirmative declaration in step three based on your understanding of the problem and the solution. And now you're going to be ready, you know, to get to work. And, and, and you're going to embark on steps four through nine. When? When are you going to do that? After a period of analysis and painstaking debate like me? Hopefully not. No, you're going to do it immediately, forthwith, at once. And then you're going to learn how to maintain this gift that God will give to you, bestow on you, and you'll, you'll become a sharing partner for others. And that's, that's, that's what this is. And we read about it. I get it. I identify in. And the thing is, is that, you know, one thing I'll, I'll remind myself of is that the topic and discussion meetings outnumber literature meetings by about 10 to 1 in these, in these groups. And that's why our recovery rates suck. It's less than 5%. We're killing more people than we're saving. I can't get sober, but we can. Together we can. It, I can tell you, when I read Seemingly Hopeless State of Mind and Body, that's, you know, I read it, you know, but now I know <laughs> because I'm recovered. I know that, that it was just seemingly hopeless. You know, the main purpose of this book, to show other alcoholics how to recover, is the main purpose of this book. And so, yes, I have to identify it. So it's not going to tell us vaguely how to recover. It's going to tell us precisely how to recover. And that's why, you know, it's been put down on paper. Because here's a fact. Every, there's, maybe there's a couple hundred people on the line in which we celebrate. Yay! And that's great. I, I, I need every one of you. I love every one of you. But here's a fact. Every single person on this call is going to be dead within 70 to 80 years. I don't say that in any way. I, I can chuckle. I have a little twisted sense of humor. But, but, but that's a fact. And, you know, there's going to be new people on this call, hopefully, following what? What's in the big book? The directions on how to save your life. 
you know, take what you want and leave the rest. Uh, this program will rub off on you. Ninety and ninety. Um, I was honest and openly opened my mouth and was willing to stuff my face. You know, it's false. It's lies. It's not. It's not truthful. And I don't mean to sound. You know, when I heard people talk like that, it pissed me off. Quite frankly, how dare you? I affiliate with those things. But thank God I have a textbook. See, my textbook, I'm looking at it right now, and it's covered in some sort of brown covering, and it goes with me everywhere. And it's a playbook for life, and it saved my ass. You know, it really did. I mean, this fellowship is beautiful, but it never gave me a complete psychic change. However, it did support me while I worked the steps. And what we're reading this morning is identifying in because until we do, we're going to psychoanalyze, debate, and we're going to try to prove that we're not like the rest of us. And that's okay. That's fun stuff. I did it for, for many years, but I would never work the steps because as I think, so shall I be. And so, you know, so today, um, you know, I know that, that, this, that by identifying in, I finally got to the point where this was the only game in town. I, had, I worked the steps, and I didn't earn it and didn't deserve it. And this merciful God of my understanding, pick one. You get to pick your own. You don't have to have mine. It saved my ass, and, it, and, it, and I'm recovered, and I don't want the food, and I happily don't want the food, you know? And that's, so that's, that's what this is all about. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. And who else would like to share on what was read? This is Lorna. This is Rochelle. Okay. I heard Jana and I heard Rochelle. Rochelle. Lorna. And I heard Lauren. Don't worry, I got you. Who else? Uh, who else did I have? Janice, Rochelle, and Lorna. Who did I miss? Lovely. Okay. Janice, Rochelle, and Lauren. You're up, ladies. Yes, got us all. Thank you, Katie. Yes, very briefly. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, when I first came in many decades ago, I read this story about the hot stove, and, you know, I loved the illustration. Oh, I could understand that so well. But to apply it to myself and my compulsive overeating, couldn't do it. You know, how many times did my eating burn me over and over and over again. And for some strange reason, my mind can't remember that. That, oh, yeah, I remember when I ate a certain trigger food that, you know, um, I thought I could stop, but I couldn't, but I ate anyway. So I was burnt over and over again. Or, you know, when I ate it, did I think, um, oh, okay, maybe I'll, you know, go to the jail and, I mean, go to the courthouse and, and get a divorce or get another operation on another knee. I didn't think like that. You know, left on my own resources, my own self-reliance. I started thinking about eating, and after a while, you know, I was thinking, gee, it's going to make me feel good. I'm going to feel comfortable. I'm going to get that ease and comfort from it. That's the way I thought. I didn't think about it burning me, but yet if I put my hand on the stove, I'd know it burned. You see, so something was drastically wrong with me. The great, you know, I was so excited about controlling the feeling that comes from that, you know, first bite. Um, 
So, you know, there it is. I forget. I forget. So uh, I take that first bite, the first bite that triggers my allergy, not the second bite. It's already triggered with that first bite. It triggers the allergy, and I end up in oblivion. That's how I, towards the end, I was in oblivion. I went to sleep, and I did this over and over and over again. So you see, we're looking for, I was looking, I mean, I, I didn't have a solution. I went to the fellowship, you know, because it was wonderful. Everybody had the same problem. <laughs> they all, you know, um, had the same problem, but we didn't have the solution. And uh, we're going to find out what the real solution is. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, Janice. And Rochelle, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Rochelle, uh, recovering, recovered compulsive overeater in Maryland. I want to thank you for having this meeting. I, I just can't get over these two paragraphs. It's, like, brilliant. And uh, oftentimes when I comment, it has to do with one particular sentence that stuck out to me and said and resonated with me. But, oh, my goodness, these two paragraphs. The idea that a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove yeah, I know what a hot stove feels like, but why would I, would I, when I'm restless, irritable, and discontent, would I open that refrigerator and look for something that I believe is going to take care of whatever's bothering me? Didn't I know that every time I would do that, you know, like I couldn't stop after the first one, you know, like, and I, in a sense, it's like it won't burn me this time. So here's how. Okay, well, look, I'm just going to have one piece, and then I'm going to feel better. And uh, that's the end of it. I'm just like anybody else. You'll see. Well, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And then I would just go on and eat whatever's there, and then the refrigerator opens and closes, and I'm looking for what's interesting. And and then I wonder to myself, oh, my goodness, I did it again? You know, so it's, it's so amazing to me to read this because how did they know that that's me? I just think this is so brilliant. So that's what I wanted to share. I passed. Thank you. And Lauren, please go ahead and share. Lauren, please press Thanks, star one. Lauren. I I got it. Um Ernest, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh. And if anybody's having trouble doing the star one, I just did star six. And then star one, and that helped. Okay. <clears throat> right now, the big book from page 23 to 43 is going to go into the mental obsession, which is the greater part of our disease. And then a little bit of we agnostics, page 44, 45, and 52 is going to finish up with step one, which is the unmanageability. So right now... We And we, we already talked about the allergy. So right now we're talking about the mental obsession. And I was told that my entire program, steps 2 through 12, my entire program rests on the foundation of step 1. And step 1 is, is over, it's about 50 pages. As you can see, it, it ends, it ends around... Uh, it ends in the middle of we agnostics. So it's just, it's, it's, I can't even, I 
it's over 50 pages, you know? It's so important. And how to do step one, how to know you're a, you know, how I'm a compulsive overeater. How to know that is to read all of these pages for step one and identify. And what I did is I, I wrote question and answers on them. And uh, I turned this big book into a book of questions for me to answer instead of statements. Because from my my first meeting, I didn't say I was a compulsive overeater. I, was, I didn't. But my second meeting, I said it. But I didn't actually know I was a compulsive overeater until perhaps six or seven months later. Because for me to know I'm a real compulsive overeater is to know I have the allergy, the obsession, and underlying it all is the spiritual unmanageability, the spiritual malady. This paragraph I've asked myself, you know, have I said to myself, it won't hurt me this time? Or at times did I not think at all? Have I asked myself before, how did I ever get started again? You know, these are questions that are going to explore my thinking without any food in my system at all. And as somebody has shared, the most dangerous part of my thinking is when I'm not eating. Thank you. I will pass. Thanks, Lauren. And this is Katie G. And I'm just going to take a moment. I'm just really inspired to be on the line and grateful to be here and ask men and to have the 12 steps as as a solution. And, you know, in reading these two paragraphs, the almost certain consequences. And what are consequences? They're results. They're effects, results, or outcome of something occurring earlier. I never wanted to accept consequences. Like I never wanted to be somebody that was a compulsive overeater, first of all. I mean, my ego kept me out of these rooms. I was like, there's no way. Like I can handle this. These are boxes and bags. And my entire life, I've been told by, by all these diet programs, if I just diet, I'll get thin, you know. And the truth is, is that I would. I would get thin for periods of time. Um, but the problem was, I would always go back to the, to the foods that I'm allergic to, the foods that will kill me. And, you know, as the previous speaker said, I came in, I got abstinent, and I was crazy because I didn't have a solution. But I was a lot, I was, I was on my way, right? Like abstinence was a first step that I had to take to identify the twisted thinking. The problem for me is that my twisted thinking and my selfish behaviors continued unchecked for years in this program. And I would have this alcoholic insanity and I would say to myself in the most casual way, I can go to this job for the fourth time. It won't burn me now. I can behave with this guy, this man, in this manner this time. It won't burn me now. I can talk to my family this way. There are no consequences to my behavior. I am fine. I can handle this. And the problem is the great I am, the selfishness, the dishonesty, the self-centeredness, and the fear drove me in a state of abstinence to my knees 
because I am completely powerless over not only, you know, my, my, my food and my allergies, but I'm powerless over my mind. That, that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. If I want something, I'm going to barrel through you to get it. That's who I am without these steps. And I ended up restless, irritable, and discontent. I ended up very much ashamed and alone, you know. And, and I, would, I hung on to the tools of this program. And the tools of this program are wonderful. They provide me relief. But I don't want relief today. Relief brought me to four different jobs, rationalizing, justifying, and defending why I deserved them, and then getting fired. Freedom is what I want today. I want the freedom to say, I don't know what's best for me. You know, and the only way I can get freedom and get unblocked from my selfish, dishonest, self-centered, and fearful ways of making decisions is to do the steps, you know, and when I say that, I, I am an active participant in the steps today. I've done them, and I'm an active participant. Ask my sponsor or my 10th and 11th step buddies. So I encourage you, if you're having problems with the food and putting it down, welcome. There is a solution. And if you're having problems in abstinence, living your life and getting what you want, welcome. There is a solution. Because it's not about getting what I want today anymore. It's about wanting what God wants for me today. And I never thought that that would be possible. And so I am so grateful to continue on with all of you. And with that, I pass. And who else would like to comment on what was read? Leah. Leah, please go ahead. Thanks so much, Katie, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. You know, obviously, these paragraphs are speaking about the greater aspect of our disease, the obsession of the mind. Um, You know, I would go to bed crying real tears, what's wrong with me, why do I eat like this, why can't I stop, you know, I'm going to change, I'm going to make a vow, I'm going to make a promise, you know, and, and, you know, the next morning I'd be right back into it. Uh, You know, I'm not stupid, I'm fairly bright, I have a decent memory, Um, you know, what is going on with me? My book teaches me a complete failure. There is an absolute failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. What happens for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, is that I get this thought that dominates my mind in such a way that it becomes the only thought. And since it's the only thought, it doesn't know that it's the only thought. And if it's the only thought, I can't have at that moment the self-reflection that it's the only thought because all the thoughts to the contrary, like thinking about any consequences, you know, any suffering that might be, uh, you know, in my very near future if I pick up, all that gets pushed aside. It all gets pushed aside and this obsession uh takes full um, occupancy of my mind. It is very perverse. That's why the book talks about, uh, 
you know, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. If, it, if the book is teaching me that I have to be restored to sanity, then obviously it's implying that when it comes to this, I'm insane. And insane means, of course, lack of soundness of mind, that I do not have a whole mind, that I am foolish when it comes to this. Because I'm not stupid. You know, we're not ignorant on this line. We're not uninformed. This is not an uninformed uh, fellowship. We're very informed. How, how come we can't see? How come many of us remain mentally defective? And if there is a bit of premeditation and precognition, uh, you know, the mental obsession takes that over and our mind overrides any thoughts to the contrary. I get those calls all the time. You know, we have members of A Vision for You, very loyal, loyal members. But, you know, <laughs> comes a day, uh, a week, uh, you know, a morning, an afternoon, when, uh, you know, the obsession of the mind takes over. They're not stupid. They're bright people. They have good memories. And, you know, when the book says we have the com- there's a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove, you know, we're not stupid. If we burn our hand on a hot stove, we will remember that. Chances are we're not going to put our hand on a hot stove to see if it's going to burn again. Oh, let me see my flesh go up in smoke. <laughs> I love when I have blistered, swollen fingers. We're going to remember that pain and suffering. Now, binge foods, they burn us all the time. They've burned us over and over and over for years, for decades for most of us. But for some reason, left to our own devices and our own resources, we cannot remember what compulsive overeating does to us. All we do is think about what it's going to do for us. We don't respond to previous humiliation. We don't respond to the consequences of our behavior. We forget to remember. We cannot connect the dots. What would that be but insanity? It's insane. When I said I was not going to act like that anymore, eat like that anymore, lie like that anymore, I meant it. And then I ate again and again and again. And that's what it means to be a compulsive overeater. That's the mental obsession. And what the steps do are take away the mental obsession and substitute for that mental obsession a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And I just invite you to flip over to page 84 very quickly and read. This is pre-God consciousness, what we just read. That is before God consciousness. What happens after applying these steps? What happens after a personal transformation which leads to a spiritual awakening? Look at the bottom of your page 84. It says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share before we move on on what was read? Okay, then I think we will move on. Marita, can you pick up and read the next paragraph for us, please? 
Good morning. Uh, thank you, Katie. This is Marita, a compulsive overeater recovered in Virginia. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. So this paragraph is pretty much reiterating um, and, and repeating uh, what, uh, what, what we've just gone over in the previous two, right? I mean, the beautiful thing about the big book is that it hammers home over and over again the information that we need to absorb to get this program. And, um, and so it's doing it again, a little nutshell of information. And especially I'm struck by the first sentence in this paragraph, when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he is probably placed himself beyond human aid. So this is saying, my thinking is my problem. My um, my recovered brother, who is a who is a recovered alcoholic, he likes to call it. He says, um, "This is your stinking thinking that precedes your drinking." He's uh, he's got a Tennessee accent, but um, I love I love his uh, I love the way he formulates these things so so simply. So this is this is our uh, our. Our focus right now is understanding that it's my thought process, that that's why I'm so stuck, because in my own mind, I can't get over it. I can't solve this problem for myself. It's beyond human aid. Nobody else can get between me and my thoughts. I'm not even able to. So what's my solution? What can get between me and my thinking? What is already there inside of me, in my heart, in my heart of hearts, that can remind me, that can lift me out of this craziness? It's my higher power. I've got to get next to my higher power. I've got to start to develop that relationship so that all throughout my day, I've got that touchstone. I've got that presence that I'm aware of, that warmth, that, that gentleness, that, that huge universal hug. I can just press into that and let go of my fears and my angers and all the things that want to brew up and cause me to look to the food again as a way of anesthetizing these uncontrollable and chaotic experiences. I'm going to be given a process working these steps that teaches me, that, that schools my brain, that gives me the muscles, the brain muscles, to work through my feelings and to appreciate the fact that I have them and to respect them, and to treat them appropriately, not let them run my life. 
Feelings are not facts. I don't have to continue to let these feelings pull me all over the world like uh, like 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 a car that I'm that I'm that I'm my I'm still in the seatbelt and it's but I'm outside the car and I'm just being run through the gravel. I don't have to have that continue to have that experience if I give my higher power a chance to open me up and change me, change me for the better. And that's what these steps do. It's marvelous, marvelous technology. This is the best software manual I've ever met. Thanks so much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you very much. And who would like to comment on what was read, please? Kim? Nancy, can I share? Okay, I heard Kim and Nancy. Did I miss anybody? Wonderful. We'll start with Kim, please. Thank you, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. This is so essential. You know, this this is why I need a spiritual solution. Is this sort of thinking? This sort of thinking is our mind. That's what's only really going to bring us back to that substance that we have that allergy to. And why is that? Well, when that thinking is established, we are beyond human aid. You know, we've been talking a lot about the last couple of days what that human aid is. You know, and I spent many years in OA trying to find that human aid. You know, I, I, I'm being taught here it's my thinking. And what I thought was if I could, could arrange my outside environment in such a way that I would find internal peace. If I can arrange my outside environment in such a way, I can find internal peace. And that never worked. So we've talked a lot about it. I thought, you know, a food plan will fix this. Well, it did until it didn't. You know, a meeting will fix this. Well, it worked for a while, and then it didn't work again. The fellowship will keep me safe. Well, it did for a time until it didn't. A sponsor, if I get the right sponsor, I'm going to be okay. Well, that worked for a little while until it didn't. Until we understood that we were beyond human aid, that these human aid things, which includes all the stuff we tried before OA, all those diet programs, the exercise program, the self-help books, the psychiatrists, the doctors, and all those things inside OA, all those meetings and sponsors, which help lead us to that solution, but they are not the solution. Until we understood that this thinking wasn't going to be corrected by human aid, I wasn't going to be open to the true solution, which was God. You know, as a sponsor now, and as a big book student who sponsors, one of the big changes is I understand that my job is not to get them connected with me. My job is helping them to connect it with a higher power. So what I do is I, I, I cup my hands and I bring them water so they can drink. But what I'm doing is I'm leading them to the river, the river where they can drink whatever they want. That's God. I can be that agent of God, but I cannot be God. So it's only when we're beyond human aid, when we understand that all these things that are available to us in Overeaters Anonymous are only leading us to the true solution, will we seek that solution. And I love that line on the top of 25, so many want to stop but cannot. So many want to. I don't know why you would come into an Overeaters Anonymous meeting unless you want to stop. I mean, I, I didn't want to stop permanently. 
I want it to stop for a short period of time. I want it to stop until I lost 30 pounds. But I could not. I could not. You know, I didn't come into Overeaters Anonymous at my top weight of a 24. I came into Overeaters Anonymous after I really worked hard at bulimia and I got down to a reasonable size and recognized that that thinking inside my head that I was as insane if not more with the control game of bulimia than I ever was in my obesity. And when I came in through human aid, I dialed my way down to a size 2 in OA where I was so stark raving abstinence and so terrified because I understood on the subconscious level that I was just controlling my eating and it wasn't going to last long. So this is the place, this is that spiritual bottom that we need to get to, that spiritual bottom when we realize it's the thinking that we're beyond human aid and as much as we want to stop, we cannot unless we find a spiritual solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Nancy, please go ahead. Thank you, Katie. Good morning, everybody. Again, Nancy, again, compulsive overeater in Lewiston, Idaho, whose thinking was fully established. Um, and I had placed myself beyond human aid. And I um, I actually, in a sense, did get myself locked up. It wasn't in an institution necessarily or in a jail, thank you, God. But, um, you know, not my last, well, the last two relapses that I had with my food, um, I was that last sentence that was just read, so many want to stop but cannot. I wanted to stop more than anything, but I could not. I had, I was one of these up and down people in um, my recovery where I termed it occasional binges. So I would be abstinent for a period of time and then I'd have my occasional binge. And sure, I think that maybe somewhere in my subconscious I recognized that those occasional binges were getting a little bit worse each time and that they were starting to happen more frequently, but I still called them occasional binges. And the problem was I would I would be able to get back on track eventually, whether it was four days or, you know, a week or two weeks or whatever it was, I'd get back on track. And so I believed in my mind that I could get away with these occasional binges. Well, what happened was this one time I could not stop no matter what and I was four months into this relapse and I could not stop. I had gained 40 pounds back of the 200 pounds that I had lost and I knew, oh, nobody had to tell me that I was going to gain every single pound that I had lost plus more back and of course at that time when I'm in the food all I think about is the number on the scale and where I can get my next fix. Thank you, God. I have some friends that are in recovery that um, work with people with eating disorders and they lived clear across the country from me but they said come come stay with us and I went and stayed with them it took I had to fly it took every dime I had in my savings account but I did it I did it willingly because I thought I was so desperate I can't do this and so I stayed with them for 10 days and I was able to be abstinent for that 10 days and it was still rough when I got home I almost ate um, on a um, layover um, you know, because I was just still so green. But that's the point. That's the level that this, um, my eating disorder had taken me and my binging and my relapse. It was so awful. But I I was, I started working on the first and second and third step while I was there. So I was starting to try to, you know, realize. And I had read all this stuff and I realized, oh my gosh, like how I feel after I read these paragraphs. I am sunk. I am so sunk. 
you know, and this is where I need to be at the end of step one. I need to be so desperate for a solution. I need to be so convinced that I am beyond human aid. There's nothing I can do to stop once I start. I am sunk. I have to be so convinced of that that I will run to step two. One of the recordings that I've listened to on the website for Vision for You was a speaker who said, if you really, really, really get step one, you will run to step two. And that's where I was at that point. I wish I can say that was my very last relapse. I stayed abstinent again and in recovery for a couple of years, but I ate again. And I couldn't afford this time to go fly clear across the country to stay with my friend. But thank you, Lord. I have a very dear friend of mine here locally who does not, she's not a food addict, but she's an alcoholic and she gets it. She gets my eating disorder. She gets that I can't stop once I start. And she let me come and stay with her for two weeks. I am not, I know today that if I pick up, I am beyond human aid. I cannot stop on my own power. I have to have a power greater than myself. And um, I stay centered in the steps today. I always want to be working on something. And so I'm blessed. Um, I'm grateful that in the next paragraph they start talking about the solution because this is where I am now. I'm so desperate going, oh, my gosh, I'm doomed. I can't do it. I'm either going to have to be locked up or go permanently insane. Um, Well, I am insane. And thank you that because of this program I get periods of... um, sanity that have returned but I know I'll go right back there if I if I pick up again and so um, I like when it says but for the grace of God there would be there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations well but for the grace of God I would probably be dead today um, and I am so grateful to be living alive and enjoying my life and I have a new pair of glasses today that I see things differently than I did when I was in the food so thank you for this meeting thank you for allowing me to share and with that I'll pass Thank you, Nancy. Would anyone else like to share before we wrap up for today? Yes, Linda. Hi, my name is Roberta. Okay. Um, all Roberta. right, let's see. So I'm I'm sorry, I don't think we have time for all of you. I, I think I heard Linda first. Yes, yes. Roberta. Linda, and then there was some someone else. Roberta. Okay. Um. So, yeah, if you guys can um, keep it brief, we'll have enough time for both of you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Linda. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in South Florida and very grateful to the vision. Thank you very much for everything and all your service. Uh, You know, I'm listening today and, you know, this one word that's in the paragraph that's really like magnified in my mind today is the word nonchalant. And I looked it up in the dictionary, seemingly to be coolly unconcerned or indifferent. And, you know, I've learned so much from the vision. I've been around the program many, many years and when I did the work with a vision sponsor, I mean, I've learned so much about my disease and really gotten to know myself so much better through the big book and the work with the steps. Anyway, you know, the one thing that really uh, also I learned a few days ago, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, I never really realized the percentage of how 70% of my disease lodges in my mind. And that was like a really, you know, big awakening for me when I heard that. But anyway, back to the word nonchalant. You know, with me, like, I came in program and, you know, thank God I put the food down. I was working, you know, doing a lot of, like, footwork and talking a lot of the talk and, you know, just really doing the program to the best of my ability and doing the tools as everybody's sharing on the line. But, however, when it came to my cultivation of my spiritual enlargement, that's where I was nonchalant. And just like, you know, I, I there were periods where I picked up, I went into, like, you know, a like a fog, I used to call it. I, I, didn't, I never knew what hit me. And 
I realized today, again, you know, that that word nonchalance was not only with the food aspect of my recovery, it's also with my God aspect. I was nonchalant about God and, um, you know, cool about it and thinking I had it. However, since I've done the work with the vision, I just want to share with you that I have such a close, intimate relationship with my higher power, who I choose to call God, and we're just a great, tight couple. And I rely on God for everything. And because of that, I really believe that my program has really, really gotten so much easier and wonderful, and I'm able to really live the program on a daily basis as happy, joyous, and free. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you. And we'll end with a quick share from Roberta. Hi. Excuse me. Hi, my name is Roberta, and I'm a real overeater from Long Island. Um, This is the first time I'm doing this, and very interesting. Um, One of the things that I realized when we started reading There is a Solution, it says the feeling of having shared in a common uh, peril is only one element in the powerless uh, in the powerful cement that binds us, but that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact that every one of us is the fact that we have discovered a common solution. It takes us seven pages to see. He took a, He gave us seven pages to make us understand how the fellowship is just not enough. You know, the 90 meetings in 90 days and all the cliches that everybody has been sharing has been so interesting and so wonderful that we realize that we are beyond human power. He's trying to tell us that, that we have to find a power that's going to restore us to sanity. That sanity is, oh, i got to go? I'll go. I'll go. That's okay. Thank you very much for allowing me to share. Pass. Oh, okay. Um, thanks, Roberta. And I want to thank everybody. Um, to I want to thank especially everyone who has shared. And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Um, if you're unmuted, uh, could you please mute your phone? Thanks. Um, will Katie F. Please read a vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Okay, thank you. This is Katie. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was up. Um, Here we go. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.